Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, Afghanistan, a place that a few weeks ago I imagine many people in the United States could not have told you there was still a war. A war that has received more U.S. media coverage in the past two weeks than perhaps in the past 20 years. Boy, was it ended badly, if it's ended at all. Yet, wow, is it a good thing to end a war. The media coverage has been so extensive that even the victims of drone attacks have received media coverage because they've been a side story to the top story of the week, the so-called longest U.S. war supposedly ending. It's only the longest U.S. war if Native Americans are still not counted as real people and therefore the wars on them not real, and it's only ending if missiles and bombs from the air are not part of a war. But the bits of this war that have gotten coverage in recent days have been very similar to the rest of this war for the past 20 years. And there's a distorted impression people are gaining that somehow the violence started when the process began of ending the war. The war has cost us a great deal. The wars of the past 20 years have cost us a great deal, including possibly the capacity to care, as we should, about the men and women and children blown up with these missiles from these drones. The war on Afghanistan and the war on Iraq, that it was a means of helping start and all the other spin-off wars leave, if you count only bombing from above as leaving, millions dead, millions injured, millions traumatized, millions homeless, the rule of law eroded, the natural environment devastated, government secrecy and surveillance and authoritarianism increased worldwide, terrorism increased worldwide, weapon sales increased worldwide, racism and bigotry spread far and wide, many trillions of dollars wasted that could have done a world of good, a culture corroded, a drug epidemic generated, a disease pandemic made easier to spread, the right to protest constrained, wealth transferred upward to a handful of profiteers, and the U.S. military turned into such a machine of one-sided slaughter that its casualties are fewer than 1% of those in its wars, and the top cause of death in its ranks is suicide. On the flip side, we opponents of the madness of these wars leave behind wars prevented, wars ended, bases stopped, Weapons deals stopped, money divested from weapons, police demilitarized, people educated, ourselves educated, and the tools created to carry all of this work much farther as it needs to be carried. Let's look at some of the statistics from the past 20 years. The wars that have used the so-called War on Terror, and usually the 2001 AUMF, or Authorization for the Use of Military Force, as an excuse, have included wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Libya, Somalia, Syria, Yemen, 
and the Philippines plus related military actions in Georgia, Cuba, Djibouti, Kenya, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Turkey, Niger, Cameroon, Jordan, Lebanon, Haiti, the, Dominic the Democratic Republic of Congo, Uganda, Central African Republic, Mali, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mauritania, Nigeria, Tunisia, and in various oceans. But just because you've gone nuts for wars doesn't mean you can't have some good old-fashioned coups as well, including Afghanistan 2001 and, of course, Venezuela 2002, Iraq 2003, Haiti 2004, Somalia 2007 through the present, Honduras 2009, Libya 2011, Syria 2012, Ukraine 2014, Venezuela 2018, Bolivia 2019, Venezuela 2019, Venezuela 2020. These being coup attempts, of course, many successful, many not, many ongoing. Let's look at the dead from these wars. The best available estimates of the number of people directly and violently killed by the wars, so not counting those who've frozen to death, starved to death, died of disease after moving elsewhere, committed suicide, etc., are in Iraq 2.38 million, in Afghanistan plus Pakistan 1.2 million, in Libya quarter million, in Syria a million and a half, in Somalia 0.65 million in Yemen, 0.18 million. To these figures, we can add another 0.007 million deaths of U.S. troops, a figure that does not include mercenaries or suicides. The total is then 5.917 million, with U.S. troops making up 0.1% of the deaths and some 95% of the media coverage. Then there are those envying the dead, the injured, the traumatized, and the homeless have all significantly outnumbered the killed. Then there are the financial costs, the direct cost of militarism, the lost opportunities, the destruction, the future health care costs, the transfer of wealth to the wealthy, and the ongoing cost of the military budget are too large for the human brain to fathom. Between 2001 and 2020, according to the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, U.S. military spending climbed from $479 billion in 2001 to a high point in 2011 of $855 billion, uh, getting down again by 2017 to $674 billion, and then up by 2020 to $766 billion with President Joe Biden and the U.S. Congress uh, intent on a further increase in 2021. Now, analysts have been consistently telling us for years now that there is another $500 billion or so not being counted in each of these numbers. Some $200 billion or so is spread across numerous departments plus secret agencies, but all clearly for military expenses including the expense of arming for free and training the militaries of some brutal foreign governments. 
another 100 to 200 billion dollars or so is debt payments for past military expenses the other 100 billion or more is the cost of caring for veterans and while most wealthy nations provide comprehensive health care to everyone were the u.s to do that as a majority of people in the u.s favor the fact would remain that care for veterans is made vastly more costly by their war injuries in addition those costs can continue for several decades after the wars the total of just the numbers of military spending from the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, which do not yet include anything for 2021, is over $14 trillion with a T. If we were to take the extra $500 billion a year and call it $400 billion to be safe and multiply it by 20 years, that would add an additional eight trillion dollars or a grand total of 22 trillion dollars spent thus far you'll read reports declaring the cost of the wars of these years to be some fraction of that such as six trillion dollars but this is accomplished by normalizing much of military spending treating it as somehow for something other than the wars according to the calculations of economists money invested in education to take one example of a number of sectors that have been considered, creates 138.4% as many jobs as investing the same money in militarism. So purely in economic terms, the benefits of having done something wiser with the $22 trillion is worth much more than just $22 trillion. And beyond economics... There's the fact that less than 3% of this money could have ended starvation on Earth, and a bit over 1% could have ended the lack of clean drinking water on Earth. And that's just scratching the surface of the costs of this spending, which has killed more by not being spent usefully than by being spent on war. Let's recall how this war started. The rhetoric official and amateur that launched the war was about bombing a nation full of people as revenge for the crimes of a small number of individuals who had spent some time in the place hey mr taliban song lyrics were racist hateful and genocidal celebrations of bombing the homes of people who dressed in pajamas but this was pure murderous lying Crimes can and should be prosecuted, not used as excuses to commit worse crimes. The Taliban was willing to turn bin Laden over to a third country to be put on trial, but the U.S. government wanted a war. It had long since planned the war. Its motivations included base construction, weapons placement, pipeline routing, and the launching of a war on Iraq as a continuation of an easier-to-start war on Afghanistan, a war that British Prime Minister Tony Blair insisted on starting prior to a war on Iraq. 
Soon the U.S. president said that bin Laden didn't matter at all. Then another U.S. president said that bin Laden was dead, and that didn't matter either, as anyone paying the slightest attention had known it wouldn't. In fact, that same president escalated the war on Afghanistan threefold in terms of troop presence, but more than that in bombing, principally because he was largely keeping his predecessor's deal to scale back the war on Iraq. One can't just end a war without backing a different one. That's part of why the world's worried about a war on China right now. But then, what was the excuse for the unending war on Afghanistan? Well, one excuse was a new bin Laden. He would return in another form like Voldemort if ever the U.S. left Afghanistan. So after 20 years of a global war on terrorism spreading anti-U.S. terrorism from a few Afghan caves to capitals across Africa and Asia, we are now told that the Taliban takeover may mean the return of terrorism. We are told this by the very same widely respected experts who said the Taliban wouldn't take over just before it did. You know who never believed a lot of these lies? The young men and women sent into Afghanistan from the United States year after year after year to become suicide risks and to, well, to, to do what? What passes for winning in the propaganda given the troops and everyone else is just the horrific wars with disastrous short and long-term results that somebody has had the sense to end more quickly than other wars. The Gulf War, the war on Libya. But they're not, of course, better than never having started them would have been. While President Joe Biden swears the nonsense about nation-building was always nonsense, others cling to it. They were told they were doing it. They saw their buddies die in the name of doing it. On August 17th of this year, an email from Lauren Mick, Senior Manager for Media Relations, Office of the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, claimed, quote, There is no doubt, however, that the lives of millions of Afghans had been improved by U.S. government interventions, including gains in life expectancy, the mortality of children under five, GDP per capita, and literacy rates, among others, end quote. Even if you believed that, imagine what doctors and teachers could have done in that regard. Heck, imagine what giving every man, woman, and child in Afghanistan some $600,000 or even a tiny fraction of that might have done, rather than blowing over a trillion dollars on war per year for 20 years. Afghanistan, under the benevolent occupation, was the third worst place to give birth in terms of newborn mortality, with the first being the neighboring and heavily impacted Pakistan. The majority of marriages in Afghanistan during the humanitarian occupation were forced marriages. U.S. base commanders are reassuring veterans of this war that it served some purpose, generally based on falsehoods, such as that the war reduced or prevented terrorism. Well, we might think surely this harmless foolishness is better than veteran suicides, but not if it succeeds at its stated purpose of facilitating future war-making. No. 
Guess what one of the minor results of future wars will be? More veteran suicides. At one point during the past 20 years, I sent some unsolicited advice to a young man who was considering offering the world the, quote, service of participating in wars. This was part of what I sent him, with each point linking to documentation. Are you aware that the U.S. government repeatedly turned down offers to hand bin Laden over to a third nation to be put on trial, preferring instead a war? Have you come into contact with the understanding that, quote, if the CIA had not spent over a billion dollars arming Islamist militants in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War, empowering jihadist godfathers like Ayman al-Zawahiri and Osama bin Laden in the process, the 9-11 attacks would have almost certainly not taken place. Are you familiar with the U.S. plans for war on Afghanistan that predated September 11, 2001? Have you seen the predictable excuses that bin Laden gave for his murderous crimes? They each involve revenge for other crimes committed by the U.S. military. Are you aware that war is a crime? under, among other laws, the United Nations Charter. Are you aware that Al-Qaeda planned September 11th in numerous nations and U.S. states that, unlike Afghanistan, the United States chose not to bomb? I continued, Are you familiar with the gross failures of the CIA and FBI leading up to 9-11, but also with the warnings they gave the White House that went unheeded? Are you aware of the evidence of the role played by Saudi Arabia, close U.S. ally, oil dealer, weapons customer, and partner in the war on Yemen? Did you know that British Prime Minister Tony Blair agreed to the future war on Iraq as long as Afghanistan was attacked first? Are you aware that the Taliban had practically eradicated opium just prior to the war, but that the war made opium one of the Taliban's top two sources of funding, the other being, according to an investigation by the U.S. Congress, the U.S. military. Are you aware that the war on Afghanistan has killed huge numbers of people, devastated the natural environment, and left the society very vulnerable to coronavirus? Are you aware that the International Criminal Court is, or rather was, investigating the overwhelming evidence of horrendous atrocities by all sides during the war on Afghanistan. Have you noticed the habit of just retired U.S. military officials admitting that much of what they've been doing is counterproductive? I tried to provide some context. Did you know that terrorism increased from 2001 through 2014 principally as a predictable result of the war on terrorism? Of course, a basic question that a good education should bring one to ask about any field is this one. Is it working? I assume you've asked that regarding counter-terrorism. I assume also that you've looked into what distinctions, if any, truly separate a terrorist attack from a counter-terrorist attack. Are you aware that 95% of all suicide terrorist attacks are indefensible crimes conducted to encourage foreign occupiers to leave the terrorist's home country? I tried to provide some alternatives. Did you know that on March 11, 2004, Al-Qaeda bombs killed 191 people in Madrid, Spain, 
just before an election in which one party was campaigning against Spain's participation in the U.S.-led war on Iraq. There are two points to make here. One is that a recent study found that countries that contributed troops to the wars on Afghanistan and Iraq generated blowback terrorism in their own countries in proportion to how many troops they put into those wars. The second point is a different one. The people of Spain then voted just after this terrorist attack to put the Socialist Party into power, and they removed all Spanish troops from Iraq by May of that year. There were no more bombs in Spain. This history stands in strong contrast to that of Britain, the United States, and various other nations that have responded to blowback with more war, producing more blowback. Are you aware of the suffering and death that polio used to cause and still causes and how hard many have worked for years to come very close to eradicating it and what a dramatic setback these efforts were handed when the CIA pretended to be vaccinating people in Pakistan while actually trying to find bin Laden? Did you know that it isn't legal in Pakistan or anywhere else to kidnap or to murder? Have you ever paused and listened to whistleblowers about their regrets. People like Jeffrey Sterling have some eye-opening stories to tell. So does Sean Westmoreland. So does Lisa Ling. So does Daniel Hale. So do many others. Were you aware that much of what we think about drones is fictional? Are you familiar with the dominant role the U.S. plays in weapons dealing and war? that it's responsible for some 80% of international arms dealing, 90% of foreign military bases, 50% of military spending, or that the U.S. military arms, trains, and funds the militaries of 96% of the most oppressive governments on earth. Did you know that 3% of U.S. military spending could end starvation on earth? Do you really believe, when you stop to consider it, that the current priorities of the U.S. government serve to counter terrorism rather than to fuel it. We have real crises facing us that are far more severe than terrorism no matter where you think terrorism comes from. The threat of nuclear apocalypse is higher than ever. The threat of irreversible climate collapse is higher than ever and massively contributed to by militarism. The trillions of dollars being dumped into militarism are desperately needed for actual defense against these dangers, including spin-off catastrophes like COVID. Now we've been through two decades of atrocity aberration stories in Afghanistan. Some troops were hunting children, but that wasn't the norm. Some troops were urinating on corpses, but politely and respectfully creating those corpses was the norm. Innocent people were imprisoned and tortured, but only by mistake. We've been treated to two decades of regrets that crimes should have been committed more properly. So-and-so shouldn't have pretended to be winning. Such-and-such such shouldn't have pretended to be withdrawing. This and that shouldn't have lied about murders of civilians. Big shot so-and-so shouldn't have shown his brilliant plans for dragging out this madness to his girlfriend. 
we've been treated to two decades of imagining that mass killing can be reformed, but it cannot be. Remember that this was the good war, the war that one had to praise in order to oppose the war on Iraq without becoming some radical advocate of abolishing mass slaughter. But if this was a good war, a war that even peace activists pretended had been UN sanctioned simply because the war in Iraq had not been, one would hate to see a bad war. The big lies are not the lies revealed in the Afghan papers, but the lies evident on the day the war began. Here are some of them, each addressed on a website at worldbeyondwar.org. War is inevitable. War is justified. War is necessary. War is beneficial. If you're really good at war propaganda, you can do the inverted myths. Peace is impossible. Peace is unjustifiable. Peace serves no purpose. Peace is dangerous and gets people killed. These are themes in U.S. corporate media these days. People get hurt when you end good, stable wars. Well, what do I propose that the U.S. government should be doing? Well, number one, until it can reform itself into an entity capable of benevolent action, it should stop blowing people up and otherwise not do a darn thing in Afghanistan. Get out and stay out, lay off, freezing Afghan funds or blocking international aid, end sanctions, but make Afghanistan neither a client state nor an enemy to be punished any further. Number two, stop encouraging the Taliban to think that it might become a model U.S. client state in a few years if it's mean and nasty enough by ceasing to arm and train and fund brutal dictatorships all over the globe. In 2019, the New York Times published this comment from the Taliban, quote, What they are saying to Americans is this, You have accepted Saudi Arabia, and we won't do more than their basic code, Retribution for murder, chop off the hand for robbing, Mr. Shinwari said. If you have accepted Saudi, what's wrong with us being another? The rest will be your priorities, aid, friendship, economic relations, end quote. Number three, cease eroding the idea of the rule of law around the world by dropping opposition to the International Criminal Court and by eliminating the veto and democratizing the UN Security Council. Number four, catch up with the world and cease being the leading holdout globally on the most major human rights treaties, including the Convention on the Rights of the Child, every nation on earth has ratified except the United States, and the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, every nation on earth has ratified except the United States, Iran, Sudan, and Somalia. Number five, Move 20% of the U.S. military budget into useful things every year for five years. Shouldn't ending a war reduce rather than increase the U.S. military budget? Number six, move 10% of that rededicated funding into providing no-strings-attached aid and encouragement to the most law-abiding and honest-to-goodness small-d democratic poor nations on the planet. Number seven, take a hard look at the U.S. government itself and understand the powerful case 
that the U.S. government could make for bombing itself were it not itself, and take serious steps to remove the bribery from the election system, establish fair public funding and media coverage for elections, remove gerrymandering and the filibuster, and as soon as possible, the U.S. Senate. Number eight, free and apologize to and thank every whistleblower who's told us what the U.S. government was doing in Afghanistan for the past 20 years and consider why we needed them to tell us. Number nine, prosecute or free and apologize to every prisoner in Guantanamo, close the base and get out of Cuba. Now that innocent prisoners in Guantanamo can't, quote, return to a battlefield that's been abandoned, free them. Number 10, get out of the way of the International Criminal Court's prosecution of Taliban crimes in Afghanistan, as well as crimes committed there by the Afghan government and by the U.S. military and its partners. Number 11, let a million Afghans into the United States and fund the creation of education centers at which they explain to people where Afghanistan is to be found on a map and what the U.S. military has been doing there for decades. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.